0: You are listening to the Cast.
1: Lo, these past few months, I've been trying to get you, the listener, to support the Cast by buying new climbing shoes from Sportiva. And it's been working. But I realize that many of you have some trod and true kicks. Filthy, held together by shoe goo. And they'll probably have to pry them from your cold, gnarled, calloused feet. When your heart finally gives out on you while you're soloing the Dome or whatever. But did you feel that chill in the air this morning, that coolness that'll start to draw the masochists from their dark, dry-tooling lairs. Well, Sportiva makes mountain boots, fruit boots, or if you're a cramp crampon-ready sneakers to get you up the gnarliest, iciest project your semi-dormant limbic cortex has dreamed up over the happy days of summer. So it's probably time to start shopping for those, if rock climbing is just too fun for you. And they've got trail running shoes for your pre-masochism masochism. And for y'all with the sunnier disposition, they've got great colorful crag wear for those last warm days before winter sweeps you under its icy rug. So if you want to support the EnormaCast, but you don't have any need for finely crafted, high-performing climbing shoes, then go check out their other wares. They've got boots for hiking, ice climbing, mountain climbing. They've got shoes for running, for hiking, probably for dancing even, and rock climbing apparel as well. So go check it out, sportiva.com, or your nearest outdoor retailer, the EnormaCast Cast and Sportiva, like two bros in a bivy sack. We gotta
0: get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in are you, are you playing here? We're doing
1: the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big the big place. That out. Town. That's a big nice. place. You it are so out. i really
0: should. What oh. yeah. the hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a freight end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes.
1: And now, La Sportiva has joined the Enormo Nation as a premier sponsor. And of course, don't forget Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com, enter Enormo at checkout to get a discount on great coffee, and to help out the Enormo Cast. Please support all of our great sponsors, and let them know that you love them.
0: And now, back to the show. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the Enormous Cast. This is your host, Chris Kaluz. It is September 1st. That's right, I'm back on track, people. September 1st, about 7 o'clock, Mountain Daylight Time, still summertime. This is episode 88, a conversation with Chris McNamara, climber, base jumper, entrepreneur, one of the guys behind Supertopo, which is a big part of our conversation. And more specifically, we talk a bit about the Supertopo Forum. Ah! which was one of the original reasons why I wanted to get Chris in here. He's been on my list for a while, and this just kind of spontaneously happened, as we'll talk about in the uh, podcast. But, yeah, the Supertopo Forum ah! phenomena is something that actually kind of was a big part of the beginning of this show because, if you recall, early on when I had Hayden Kennedy on, we talked a fair bit about uh forum ah! evaluation of the chopping of the compressor route a forum that started out as praise and quickly turned into vitriol and uh, went on for hundreds and hundreds of posts. And in my diligent research, that was back when I fancied myself someone who did research, when I thought that I needed to do research for these sorts of things. I read them all. I read them page after page. And as I was doing that over a few nights, more kept stacking up. It was like doing your homework and then waking up in the morning and there was magically more homework there. Anyway, Supertopa is this amazing phenomena that I've watched grow over the years, along with the internet. And, and I think there's very few climbers out there that haven't dipped into Super Toba climbing forums. Ah! For good reasons and for bad, which we talk about on the show. So that's coming up. Really great guy, really smart guy, Chris McNamara. And I uh, had a lot of fun talking to him, connecting with him right here in Carbondale. So that's what's coming up. And actually, I don't have much else going on. Besides uh, just pumping out interviews, I got a bunch in the bag and I got some ideas for some creative stuff coming up because having a few backlogged means I free up time to do that. Don't have a lot of time to travel right now because I'm working real hard at my day job. Still have my day job. I got a lot of people coming up to me at the trade show last month asking me if the Enorma cast was like pretty much my full-time gig now. It's not. But alas, what else am I going to do with my time? sit around and post on Super Topo like I used to. Yeah, I don't have time for that anymore. It probably would be my full-time gig if I was a better businessman and maybe return an email once in a while. Uh, well, it's all about the love. i just do it for the love. The Love. Anyway, let's get to it. An interview with Chris McNamara, smart guy, very busy guy. A guy who kind of figured out how to live the dream to a certain extent. So good for him. Hope you enjoy this one. He's a good man and thorough. When it comes to protecting climbers, we all know that Black Diamond makes great gear to keep you alive on those big climbs. But look more closely and you will find a company that has the climbing community's back in many deeper ways. For 25 years, Black Diamond has carried a vision that they have a vested interest in protecting the places that you're going to use that gear. The company is well aware that they have the clout that an individual doesn't have to stand up to those who would sell close, or destroy our beloved climbing areas. Advocacy groups across the world have found BD willing and able to help them bring powerful Kung Fu to the fight for our right for adventure. So look to Black Diamond for the best climbing protection that money can buy, and know that they are working to protect the climbing areas where you're going to use it. Visit BlackDiamondEquipment.com for more information about their advocacy and to see how you can get involved. We're rolling, so uh, I'm sitting in the mobile studio like, I don't know, less than an eighth of a mile from my house, but we're up on White Hill next to a Catholic church, so Hopefully, when, if we start becoming profane, we won't have any problems with, with <laughs> any sort of blowback. If a lightning storm starts <laughs> <That's> appearing on <laughs> the horizon, we'll run. Um, but yeah, I'm sitting here with Chris McNamara, who is one of the uh, progenitors of Super Topo. Um, also, a, uh, an extremely versed wall climber from, from back when I was actually wall climbing. Wingsuit, base jumper formerly. Um, also, what, what else you got going, Chris? We'll stick
0: to those. those There's no okay. high points. What
1: about, uh, you know, the gear lab you got? Oh, like yeah. Other... Founded Outdoor
0: Gear Lab. That's okay. the, the main focus now. Right, and, right. Uh, yeah, just generally trying to invent new things and new adventures mm-hmm. like uh, like many, many climber entrepreneurs before me.
1: Yeah, but that's the thing, man. And that's really one of the cool things about your name and what you're associated with is that, that the word climber entrepreneur is not actually that common of a phrase although out in California and, you know, coming from Yosemite, like you, know, yeah. you mentioned Rick Kashner earlier in a conversation yeah. and some of those guys did go on to like become these really amazing entrepreneurs. But yeah, for every one of them, there's like a hundred guys that just augured in and you know,
0: <laughs> it's did little. Tr- It's true. But if you allow me to dive in, yeah, sure. um, if you look at the, the, cast of four to eight that were really getting things done in the golden age mm-hmm. you have royal Robbins, tom frost Yvonne chenard and uh, when i was climbing big walls um at the you know the peak of my interest when i was the most psyched i remember thinking to myself how did those guys ever give this up this is the coolest thing on earth you could ever do how could you not just spend your whole life climbing big walls why is yvon chenard fly fishing. I don't get it. Like I'm on the side (laughs) of El Cap. Yeah. Or yeah. Surfing. I could sort of get, but Mm -hmm. fly like, and then you go down the line, Royal Robbins. Why did he start whitewater kayaking and then get into hiking apparel? Right. Tom Frost. Why did he care about, um, lighting equipment and revolutionizing the lighting equipment industry and commercial photography? And at the time I just couldn't get it. Right. right, I was, I was 21. I was like, I found the Holy Grail. They found the Holy Grail before me right. at a time when it was even cooler to be a climber because no one had done any right. of this. Where, where did they go wrong? And how do I not go wrong? Mm-hmm. But as, uh, as I got older, I realized what they were really at their core is they were adventurers. Mm-hmm. And you know the definition of adventure, or at least part of it, is the unknown. And they were like, yeah, El Cap has been amazing and it's taught me so much, all these climbs. But at the same time, there's so many other things to be discovered right. and some of them are going to be related to doing climbing, but you know, some of them won't be. And, uh, and, and they still come back to climbing. Like one of the best days of my life was going to with, uh, Ro Robbins and one of my best friends, we went to his house in Pinecrest. This was maybe seven years ago. And we went and climbed at his like private little crag, um, in, in kind of like the foothills of the Sierra. And he's still at it and he still loves climbing but in the, the the meantime, between doing that and doing the first ascent of Half Dome and the South A Wall, he'd woven in all these other totally out there new things. Right. And uh, and now now I get that. Like I love climbing, but I also love all the other adventures that being a climber teaches you how to find. Right.
1: Well, I mean, then look at Porter. You know, Charlie Porter went on to this like amazing life and. In- you know sailing and discovering and and you know doing all this science out
0: in the middle of nowhere all by himself so i mean that's another one that yeah yeah yeah, especially porter which um that was probably my biggest coup like biggest accomplishment with writing the first how to big uh yosemite big walls book was no one had heard of charlie porter there was one two-page article in rock and ice on Mm -hmm. him and uh Somehow I got a number and I was like, there's no way this number will work. I call this number and he just picks up the phone. And I'm like, wow, no one like people weren't. Oh, I know. The number was left on a bulletin board at Wilson's Eastside Sports Uh in Bishop. And this was probably in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s. And a friend said, I found this number. It might still work. And it turns out it was his mom's number. And it just happened. He was at his mom's house and he picked up the phone and uh he and Are and, you and, kidding me? And, this and, is awesome. Yeah, no, it was it was amazing. Right. And uh and probably since then it's been impossible to find him again. Right, I just got right. lucky. Yeah, yeah. But um in talking with him, he was just talking about how he actually told me this amazing story that um I I should follow up on, but it was something about finding a time capsule that Magellan maybe had left, uh-huh. like in Patagonia. Sure. Like and what was clear is that he took all that, you know, passion that he had for doing the first descent of The Shield and New Dawn and uh, and turned it into something new. And he's like, why not go down to Patagonia in the 70s, which Patagonia is still a wild place. But imagine Patagonia in right, the yeah. 70s and 80s and, and the parts that no one even goes to today. Mm-hmm. And he's there alone. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm now kind of just, you know, following their lead going. Right. Um, I love climbing, and I, and I love always trying to find the new angle at it. But I also appreciate that uh, one of the best things they can do is teach you how to find those adventures elsewhere.
1: So how did you discover wall climbing? Because when I, you know, and this is, this is like, we were sort of contemporaries in terms of wall climbing, although I was older than you, because uh, you and Singer were kind of like young phenom upstarts like just hammering out these walls and I mean you said what you were 20 21 and he must have been is he younger than you or are you guys about uh, the same I age I think
0: he's we're about the same age yeah but, we but were, you guys were like total uh, young punk and, running around the valley then yeah I think we were 17 when right. we met. um yeah so when I was 14 I went to Yosemite for the first time I was like there's no way I'll ever climb El Cap but mm-hmm. I like went to the base of it I was like coolest thing I've ever seen and I even remember seeing some guys who were about to do dihedral wall and blown away. I'll never do that. But total chance, I'm at this high school um, outdoor ed meeting and a, the teacher hands me the business plan for a climbing gym, which is basically the first giant climbing gym, which was Mission Cliffs. Mm-hmm. There'd been climbing gyms before, but there, there hadn't been one on that scale. Sure, and he yeah, was for sure. like, no one's ever lost money in a climbing gym. You should invest in it. And I'd been saving like every penny uh, to my name for no real reason for, right. for four years being a little league snack shack uh, operator uh-huh. and a umpire and i put the chalk down right like basically did all the little jobs around a little league field and uh all i wanted was free climbing gym membership for life right and i was like i don't care if i never see this money again i want to I'm I'm ground floor free membership for life. This is gonna be awesome. So no, wait, how and, old are you? I'm fifteen. Point? And he um <laughs> and nobody's ever
1: lost money in the climbing gym. Yeah. I don't know. I think he might have made that part up. But anyway. I think he did. I think he did. He
0: he's <laughs> <I'm pretty laughs> sure some people have lost some money yeah, yeah. in the climbing gym. I think at but, that point he'd yeah. invested and right. maybe he was just right. looking for yeah. And they I'm sure that was illegal, you know, telling your fifteen year old students to back your investment. But anyways, um <laughs> <laughs> the guy who's at the, the, the heart of all this was Mark Melvin, who um, is probably one of the more kind of unknown, off-the-couch El Cap badasses. And he was just like, do you want to climb El Cap? And I'd been climbing for six months. I was now 15, and I was like, sure. I'd never climbed anything taller than the Golden Gate Bridge. That was, at that point, the tallest thing I'd ever climbed. And uh, got up there, everything went wrong. He forgot his shoes on the climb. Which we did the west face of El Cap, which was a free route, yeah. and we didn't have jugs, and so we ended up zip lining the free shoes back and forth. Like he'd lead a pitch, and we we luckily had a trail rope. He'd zip line the shoes down. I'd put them on, climb the pitch, hand them back to him. Those were your shoes? His, those are his shoes. Oh, his. Because I didn't own proper oh, shoes. Right. I'd only been climbing six months, right. and um, everything went wrong ran out of water you know the west face in the afternoon gets insane heat i can't imagine you were going terribly quick with like zipping shoes back and forth so no i mean we (laughs) we we got it done like i think we still got down in daylight but um oh amazing yeah like he's it was all him like he's he's uh he's badass but um everything went wrong and by the end of it i was like i'm hooked Right on. Like, I found I found what I, I need to do in life, and it is just climb this rock because, uh, yeah, it's, I still can kind of even remember being, I think it was at, like, pitch nine where there's this hard free section that pe- mm-hmm. a lot of people don't even do. They kind of, like, pull through, which I probably did. But um, I'm an aid climber at heart. Um, I just remember hanging there with 2,000 feet of air underneath me. And uh, to this day, I still think that's what is so cool about wall climbing. Right. right? How often do you get to live with exposure? You know, even wingsuit bass jumping, as cool as it is, you don't live with exposure right. for hours and days at a time. Right. Yeah, totally. So that hooked you on it? Yeah. Basically, uh, I think I'm manic enough in my personality that I was like, all right, this is it. Do you I remember what year that this was? was, was? Cool
1: I think that was 95. Right, okay, yeah. So, because that all fits, because that's about the time that I was there. and. Mm-hmm. But, and a little bit after that. But you guys, I mean, you must have pressed the accelerator then, like, to to the floor. Because, I mean, 95, 96, 97 was sort of when I was climbing a bunch of walls. And you guys were right in the mix. Like, climbing hard stuff and, and getting after it. So, from your first experience to, to climbing some of the harder routes on the wall must have been a matter of, like, not even, I mean, a year or months or.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I pretty much, like
1: punched it to the floor
0: yeah I just dedicated my life to it right like a lot of climbers Uh Um, and it helps that I lived in the Bay Area I could Mm -hmm. drive there in three hours but it also helped that again once you got your driver's license Uh, yeah yeah yeah. the next year I got my driver's (laughs) license and uh, and I was lucky because Mark Melvin gave me all his gear for the summer so I got to show up in Yosemite with no money Mm -hmm. but a whole bunch of gear and I remember going to Costco and buying a whole bunch of canned corn and pretzels, because for whatever reason, that seemed like the cheapest calorie you could get. Right. And um, spent the whole summer. A lot of vitamins and corn, corn and yeah. pretzels, too. And it was just like, I'm going to show up here. Didn't have any climbing partners. And mm-hmm. actually, the um, second wall I did was the Nose in a Day with Mark. But the third wall, I saw a soloist on Zenyatta Mandata, and I basically yelled up at him, like, do you want a partner? And I think he was just in that kind of like, ready to commit, um, right. like, soloing seemed like such a good idea a week ago, and now like, uh, and he didn't even, he couldn't even see me, he couldn't tell I was 16, and he was just like, yeah. Really? Yeah, he came down, and he was like, what have you done? And I'm like, didn't know the today, even right. though I hadn't let a single pitch on right. it, and wasn't that qualified at all all i'd really done was solo the first three pitches of the prow and get scared mm-hmm. and bail <laughs> but he was like all right sure let's go and uh and suddenly i was in the thick of it do you even remember his name oh kills me it, i don't it's I okay was, I, know don't. Was, I know he was i know he's a carpenter from tahoe okay um it's all right maybe yeah. we'll write into the
1: show but yeah no i met somebody a couple years or a few years ago that you know once I got introduced back to him, he was like, yeah, we we did the scenic cruise, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, right. I'm sure we did. Like, I don't remember yeah. you. Like, I don't even sort of remember you. So that's a big deal. But then how did that go? Like, I
0: mean, were you put out on lead on that thing? Well, yes. Yeah, so th- it's pretty funny. So Zenyatta is right next to Zodiac. It's on the east face. It overhangs mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And so he'd fixed two pitches right. and so the rope was hanging 20 feet out from the wall and it when I got to the bottom of it he was basically like go get your stuff we're launching tomorrow I go get my stuff um, and I just remember starting to jug and be like this thing is tooth floss like because when you look up at a, a eighty foot rope right that's hanging 20 feet from the wall and you're not used to exposure suddenly a rope that seems like a a safety mechanism Uh now seems like it has the, you know, you know, properties of tooth floss. Right, right, right. right. And then I remember getting to the belay and I didn't have any experience with exposure. So just operating a carabiner Uh terrified me. Like I could hardly use like every uh, like carabiner. Felt like I was handling plutonium or something. Sure. Like, yeah, cause don't d- clip this because it might. Yeah, right. Or don't... yeah, yeah don't clip that, it there because that could be a time bomb. Of wow. Because I just didn't have any. And then you were probably carrying act cool and yeah. like you had experience. Totally. So. And so, so. <laughs> But he's like, "All right, the next pitch is yours." <laughs> and you're just like, "And there's hard pitches down there, my friend." Well, well, here's the thing. He did, he did give me all the the easier pitches, but they were still like A three. Yeah. And and we're talking before. It's steep. Yeah, steep. N- no aliens. No uh, mm-hmm. C fours. No X four. Like, you know, and uh, I think I got three placements up. And I hadn't really nailed before. So I was like kind of like tapping them in without really hitting them hard and not really bounce testing because it's counterintuitive. But you actually, when you want to bounce test, you want to pull, you, you want to try to pull the piece out. Right. Yeah, because yeah. then once you're committed to it, you actually know it'll hold. Yeah, yeah. it took me a long time to, to figure that out. too. Yeah, it's yeah. It's,
1: it's not. I'm like, I what mean, are you doing? yeah you're gonna you're gonna pull it out
0: yeah climbing's not intuitive right. aid climbing's less intuitive and and nailing and bounce testing is even less intuitive so it's you know it's all madness glorious madness but sure enough I get on that piece it pulls i pull the one below it and i basically fly by him and <laughs> you know i've I've now been doing uh you know hard or moderate aid for about five minutes and I've gone negative 10 feet and uh and I really wanted to just be like um look I'm obviously gonna kill myself how about you just lead the route yeah right like I'll give you a belay it'll be better than when you were soloing exactly but but he was already settled in or he was a really good you know teacher or whatever but he was just like no you're getting back up there you're gonna get it done and uh and I you know kind of in no uncertain terms I was like oh Oh, okay. I guess I have to go up there and figure it out. And, right. and you know, that's one of those moments. Could have gone either way. Sure. I, if if he hadn't said that, like I probably would have, you know, taken a lot longer to get anywhere. But right. he was like, "No, no, get back on the horse." And, um, and you know, I, I led the pitch and got. And when I got to that ballet, it was still like probably one of the greatest moments of my life. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: that's so funny. This this is very enlightening because. When I was climbing there and you guys were climbing, I would—I was slapping my head. How are these guys doing all this rad shit? You know, because it was—it just just, no offense, but you guys were super young and didn't totally seem to have your shit together. And yet, here you'd (laughs) be—all true. You here you'd be coming down the the you know east ledges after having done some some rad wall again. I'm like, I just remember feeling like. What's going on here? Like, where did these kids come from? I don't know. So I guess it's sort of this actually elucidates this 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 theory that I had. I'm just like, I don't know how they're getting up these roots, but they are, and that's kind of what
0: was going on apparently. Well, yeah, it, it was hooking up with people early who yeah. were just way better than yeah I was. Yeah, and then um and then the story of meeting Singer was pretty funny because it wasn't long after that mm-hmm. where there was one other like really young. Aid climber named Calder Stratford out of oh, Salt yeah. Lake. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, and I remember being in El Cap Meadow. I'd maybe done five El Cap routes and seeing Utah plates and this guy get out of it. And I was mm-hmm. like, "Are you Calder Stratford?" And he's like, "No, no, I'm I'm Singer." And he, and I was like, "Oh, you want to climb a wall?" <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah." And and he'd never climbed anything more than a brick wall with hooks. Like that was his entire resume. That's a pretty rad, like training feat, though. Yeah, I mean but,
1: that's sketchy as hell. So yeah, no, I'm yeah. sure
0: what he was doing on there was probably like a <laughs> five. Like yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but it was one of those things where I'd now been put in enough situations that were way over my head, and I got through them that I was like, Yeah, sure, you're you're not Calder, but you want to climb out? El- All right, we're good. Let's right go. on. And and we did, and 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 uh, and he obviously had the head for it because he worked it out and we just right away just did tangerine trip the next day right on yeah
1: that's awesome no that's that's very cool because like i said it was like we were sort of contemporaries we're in the valley at the same time doing similar walls doing sometimes the same walls not together but months apart or whatever so um and you guys were kind of a phenomena for sure you know like just racing around doing rad rad climbs so how many times did you end up climbing el cap
0: I think I'm at CQ like camp.
1: 84. All right, on. That was pretty specific. Yeah, I think. I right. Know. Give or take. Yeah. That's awesome. How long did you kind of spend on this lifestyle? Uh, which one? The, 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 <laughs> they're just living in the valley, wall climbing. You know, like dirt bagging, buying,
0: buying corn and and pretzels um, and all sort of thing. I mean, probably like five years. Uh huh. Um, I started going to college and um, having to be, you know, in Berkeley more. Right. But, um, yeah, I'd say, like, the glory days was, like, a nice five-year window right. of living. Only the first year out of my car, I then met all these friends, um, like Zach Smith, who lives down the street from you, who right. had... Who... who I, I just realized tonight that I was an extra dirt bag because... They were like, had these jobs that they were barely going to, to pay for their climbing habit. And I was mooching off them. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so like basically being like, can I store all my, um, Costco Butterfingers and, uh, Dinty Moore in your tent cabin while I climb El Cap and then crash at your house after. So there's probably like a good five years of that, Uh um, which was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Totally. And, I, and actually, I do remember that you went, it was kind of like, oh yeah, Chris is going to college now. Like, so he's not quite as active as he once was. And that was also like, you know, when I kind of, I left the valley. I, I never lived there. Um, I never totally was committed. Um, I would come and go because I was living in SoCal. Um, but at, around that time, I sort of, I called my last one. I called my last wall um, before you guys were done. Um, I did the Gulf Stream as sort uh-huh. of a, as sort of a like I'm I'm going back to Colorado. I'm like I'm
0: good. I'm done with this, which was uh, hardcore. That was what less than the fourth ascent.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It was right in there, and that yeah. actually, Wally Barker had sold it. Not gone okay. before me. I just ran into Wally by the way. Um, nice. I'm sure you remember Wally, but oh yeah. Um, anyway, but he he had just sold it, and which was actually in retrospect kind of nice because like whenever. Like, literally, like, a week before he had finished. So whenever I ran into, like, fixed gear, I'm like, hell, Wally was just up here. That yeah. guy weighs, like, 50 yeah, pounds more than exactly. me. Exactly. I was just like, this is a bomber. There's no way this thing's coming out, so.
0: Which, which was my other <laughs> trick, at least mental trick, when I was aid climbing was I was 16. Mm-hmm. I weighed, like, 141. I was, like, definitely the lightest guy who's ever stood on this fixed <laughs> copperhead.
1: That's probably true, actually. So. Awesome. So <laughs> you... uh I don't know what happened then. So, you go to college, you you, you finish this five year sort of stint. Um, let's talk about the Super Topo thing um, because that's sort of as guidebooks. Is that how that thing started?
0: So, what happened was it's all thanks to Dougal McDonald. Okay. Uh, I'd been kind of taking notes and he'd been staying in touch with me because he'd done an article on me for Rock and Ice. And um, he was like, hey I've got this concept called super topo he actually came up with a name and um, I think you have all the knowledge to write you know these topos like what do you think uh, can you um, do an article for rock and ice and I did and it got you know a pretty cool response I don't know how I'd quantify it other than to say that I'd been a very like climber guy with little social skills you know even less than i have today and uh i suddenly got this great response from publishing an article in rock and ice Mm -hmm. and that's really what just made me realize i should do this because uh, i had now had the knowledge from doing all these trade routes in a short period of time and i realized i could do a different style guidebook where it wouldn't be the complete guidebook, but I would have done them all really recently, have the most recent information, the recent racks. And, um, and I also was very aware that I was otherwise totally unemployable. So I needed to, to figure out some job because I knew I didn't want like a standard job. Right. So let's just take a run at this. What and did you go to college for? I went to college just as like a total backup. Right. Um, I kept dropping out. I really okay. didn't want to be there, right. but um, my parents really were like, "Let's get it done." Sure. And um, and I realized like if this super topo thing doesn't work out, right, and I do have to get a job, at least I'll have more options, mm-hmm. probably. So, what was the nature of the article? Like there, you, it was some some topos for El Cap, or yeah, it was his vision was let's take I think it was five or seven of the most popular routes on El Cap. And, uh, and you could go back in a back issue of Rock and Ice and you could see them. It was, okay. And um, and then, you know, once it re- kind of took off, I think I went back to him a couple years later and was mm-hmm. just like, hey, this thing's taken off. Can I have the name? Do I have to come up with my own name? Because right. this is what I think I want to do. I want to take this new level of detail for topos. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now most of the books that are sold are like Yosemite Free Climbs or whatever. Right. but. Um, it really lent itself to big walls where it's having the latest rack is so important, mm-hmm. you know, having the latest information. Because at the time it would say Zodiac is A5, but everyone knew it wasn't. Right. But they were like, well, what do I need? Like, yeah. what's the deal? Like, it's, there was Yeah, you get some old pin rack
1: and stuff, you know, and nobody's even p- banging pins on it anymore. Exactly. Because like, yeah, I, I went up on Mescalita with like, I don't know, like 80 pounds of iron because we didn't know any different because you had this old list in some old i mean the original book like you know six three-quarter inch angles exactly you know like here's you get up there and and you know pound like a handful of pins then and you probably don't anymore at all but yeah um, interesting so that uh came from rock because rock and ice had done they always used to put guides in their mm-hmm. in their magazines I mean I've got some old old issues with old you know Black Canyon uh, guides and and stuff like that so so you turned it into actual books about when like when did this concept
0: I think it was 2000 2001 uh-huh. Uh-huh. was the first book and um, as the book was coming out I had this I got I briefly got really into trail running with Galen Rowell and I actually thought trail running was going to be, like base jumping was, like my new thing. Mm-hmm. I like loved it so much. But my knees basically fell apart. Okay. Like my just didn't, Even when I was 22, my knees just were like, no, nah, this isn't happening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, But I was friends with Galen Rowell, and he took us on this. Uh, he, once a year, he'd do this backpacking trip, invite eight friends who we thought were interesting, get a bunch of wine bring in like the mules and so in this one it was to the wind rivers and another person that he knew was who would become my future business partner randy spurrier um who was also a climber but like heavy into kind of tech and this was around 2000 when the internet was blowing up for the first time and everyone was talking about like, you no know, the internet's been here forever <laughs> I Yeah, mean, it's been here since
1: like the, I don't know, the Declaration of Independence, right? Easily. Yeah. Yeah, in, yeah. in various forms. Right.
0: Used to be coal-powered. Right. Now it's, uh, <laughs> but, um, and he basically, I was like, let's come up with this ebook idea. And like, you're about to publish the first Yosemite Super Topo Big Wall Guide, but let's have ebooks be a part of it. Let's have uh, an internet presence be a part of it, because the stuff's all blowing up. And, uh... Totally committed to it. A year ago the internet had its first total like fall apart session where all the money flowed out of it. Oh, know, right. the dot bombs. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. And and what we realized was we were probably about a decade too soon on eBooks, which uh-huh. if you think about it, ebooks really didn't blow up until probably I don't know, six years ago, seven even, years. Yeah, ago. even
1: even more recently, I think, to where they're like fully mass market.
0: Yeah, so it was it was one of these things where we're we're kind of early on the idea, but at the same time, um, we just both got along great, and we're like, yeah, let's uh, let's even if we kind of go back to the standard old guidebook model, we'll just go with that, and and then the um, you know the internet forum thing started, and so we're like, yeah, let's yeah, we have to talk about that. (laughs) So uh, I own SuperTobo. 50-50 Fifty-fifty with Randy, mm-hmm. who lives about a mile away from you here right. in Carbondale, and uh, he's always been the guy who knows how to do the internet, who has much more knowledge about bigger business ideas. And and while I may have picked up on some of them, you know, it's the same with how I got into wall climbing. Right. I always hooked up with these guys who are way smarter than me.
1: Well, and, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it sounds like it's a match you know made in heaven, so to speak. Like. You know, you've got the climbing resume, and and he's got the tech resume. And, like, I mean, it seems like it's a pretty uh, sort of fortuitous meeting, as it were.
0: Yeah, no, it totally was. And and it only works because um, we both get along great as friends. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of partnerships not work in the, like, 15 years since then. And I think we have that rare thing where it's cool to meet up with someone who has skills that you don't have that you really respect. Right. And then it's mutual. Right. And that's what leads to cool partnerships and projects.
1: And so uh, early 2000s, you've got books, you've got this sort of minor kind of internet part of it. I mean, is that still existing through this, like some sort of
0: website, like, you know, proto-website that I can picture in my brain? Yeah, the website was there from the beginning. Didn't make any money. Right. Still doesn't really. (laughs) But it It was there from the beginning, uh-huh and um
1: and so the books
0: still make money, yeah, does any of it make money? It all does, yeah. but the reason it makes money is because I got a camp for education in business, right, which is we have never had offices right for most of super topo, all the books were stored in my dad my mom and dad's garage, and so was possible to make a business Mm -hmm. if you were willing to be as scrappy as a climber. Right. And we were climbers and that seemed like a a great trade off. Okay. Um, But that's the only way that I see to make a a living out of most climbing style businesses, which is um, what's great about being a climber is there's this real culture of uh, frugality of it's, it's, so much more about the experience than anything you can buy, Mm -hmm. that makes it hard to sell things to that same group. Um, Right. And, 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 yeah, look, you're... (laughs) Let me tell you, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Yeah, and and
1: and I totally. Get I thought it. you were going to come on here though and tell me like how how I was going to turn the EnormaCast into like this million dollar a year business.
0: No, no. The the reason All right, it is interviews over. I, yeah, I I am sorry, <laughs> but the the reason why it is so cool and mm-hmm. so fun to connect with people is it is such a cool culture. Sure. And and it totally keeps out anyone from. You know, when was the last time someone big tried to come into the climbing world and make a ton of money? Like, it's just, to my knowledge, it doesn't happen often. Right. And it's not going to happen. And, and it's it's one of the few sports that you can say is is really, um, or lifestyles or whatever you want to call it is really protected by its frugality. Right. Like everyone. That's interesting. Who, everyone who gets into it has to keep it real. Right. And. Uh, and and it's cool cuz whenever you run into someone whether it's Tommy Caldwell who I think was just I just saw a photo of him roofing his house you know mm-hmm. and and you know one of the one of the better climbers in the world lost his finger because he felt it was better to remodel his house himself like sure. it goes to the core of the whole sport is right. you uh y- you climb cuz you love it and and there there might be some other way to make more money but it just wouldn't be as fun right well that's
1: cool i you know i not not unlike like uh sponsored climbers and and all these different things you just you never know like what what is the revenue stream to this how much does this guy make and how does he make it work and and that's interesting to talk to you about you know the word super topo and i mean it's so ubiquitous in climbing like it's just this thing that's out there you know like Mm -hmm. the normal cast aspires to be as as sort of name worthy as Super Topo, but we do have to talk about your uh, about the forum. Yeah, and you started laughing when I when I sort of said that a minute ago. The forum has obviously become its own like monster, if you will. Yeah, there's people laugh about it, people cry about it, people you know it's it's up and down. You guys dropped that forum on there in the beginning, and and I I can remember that at that you know those years when you said that that was you know these message boards and these forums were in a lot of ways like half the internet and that was like the thing like these these message boards and that's what they used to call them right they turned into these forums when you guys dropped that on there compared to like what it's become today like i mean do you have a sort of maybe have you ever just like hit yourself in the head like this thing's gone crazy like it's
0: it's it's this. Well, it has gone crazy. That's yeah, a fact.
1: Yeah. I mean, literally, at times. Correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's become this thing that, that like, I think is spoken of both as a great thing and, and distastefully, right? Oh, it's both. Yeah. It's totally it's both. both. I mean, I guess I'm asking, do you ever, like, marvel at, like, what it's sort of become in terms of the climbing community and the vernacular of climbing and, you know, this sort of source
0: yeah, at the well, base of climbing? It's um, so where it started, yeah, was it didn't exist. We just Mm -hmm. had the climbing route beta, Mm -hmm. and since we were a climbing guidebook company, we're like, let's stick to that, that's what we do best. Mm -hmm. But people were asking for it, and so were you taking um, sort of user input
1: about the topos at all in terms of trying to keep them updated, or
0: yes, and no, okay. What we would like, so the way that the first super topo book came around was um, I did the rock and ice article and now I had to collect enough topos to make a book sure and so I'd sit there in El Cap Meadow and hand out topos and get feedback okay so that's old school internet yeah that's exactly exactly there's like almost like a horse involved to deliver things, but not quite Um, and so it was really supposed to be all about just Mm -hmm. the route beta like that's what we do that's what we want to do. But everyone said, do a forum. And so from the beginning, we said, we're going to do this, but we don't want to moderate it. Mm-hmm. Because A, there's no money in it. And and there still, to this day, is no money in it. Which no. a lot of people don't understand. It's basically a public service. Totally. Because ad revenue is just not that big. It sort of covers the costs of the servers that serve all the pages. And, um, yeah. and so and it's, i've i've seen single threads that probably take up entire servers. So. Yeah, and and people will think like, oh no, you want people on here who are loud and obnoxious just so that they'll post more and you'll make more money. No. Right. Because turns out most advertisers don't want to be a part of the super dope forum. Like they they will through Google Ads, but anytime right. we've tried to sell ads, they're like it's kind of a landmine. Like yeah. Um so but At the same time, there's all these really cool things that happen on it, Mm -hmm. which is someone will, like, find a wedding ring at the base of El Cap and someone who's been missing it for a decade will be reunited with it. And there's So there's literally the best and worst that you see in the climbing world is on display there. And it's been this constant dilemma, like, since we don't make any money out of it, it, it really needs to be kind of just a public service is it still a public service? And that's a question that we you know, constantly ask. Like, are, Hopefully we're creating more good than bad because mm-hmm. as it turns out on the internet, and this is across all interests. I mean, climbers, of course, we're special and unique, but we're also not. Like there's a lot of other sure. people who are passionate about a lot of sports and there's a lot of other message boards where people say things that, they normally wouldn't say to each other in person, mm, Absolutely. But there's something about the internet where maybe it's because they're drunk, <laughs> maybe it's because they just aren't looking at someone in the eyes. But that, that, s- I, As far as I'm things. concerned, that's it. Yeah. You know, it's all like the removal,
1: you know, it's like, yeah. it's like the dropping bombs out of the sky versus like, you know, shooting someone, you know, it's, it's easier to do. You're yeah. removed. And that I mean, that's it. And and I think, like, anybody that's in the climbing game long enough has probably been slandered. If not on Super Topo, then on, you know, the, the rival forum out here in Colorado, a little more sort of Colorado-centric is the Mountain Project one. But you've been slandered, and then you've ran into the person that slandered you, and, and it's all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. Everybody's like, hey, how are you doing? It's been, you know, it's been great. And it's just kind of like, well... Yeah, but, like, two months ago, you fucking hammered me on the internet,
0: you know? <laughs> like, So, I don't know. I, I yeah. think it's just the removal, right? Well, yeah, and, and there was moments... Drunkenness, probably a bit of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's moments in my life where I'm like, all right, let's get to the bottom of this. How can we solve this? But now I've looked at every single forum, even forums that aren't even related to a passionate activity, like Reddit. Right. They deal with the same thing, mm-hmm. where they start out being like, let's not do censorship. Let's just let people post what they want. And then as they try to make money and try to like build right. a, a safe place for more people, they realize, oh, no, you can't do that. You've got to figure out some way to censor this, whatever. But from the beginning, we just realized we just don't want to be in that game mm-hmm. of being moderators and hiring moderators, and there's no money to pay anyone right. to moderate it. So let's just really hope that at the end of the day, more kind of inspirational and useful information will have developed mm-hmm. than negative and right. it's I, I would like to tell myself that's how it happens um, and it, it but it's probably very much a, a personal thing it, it comes down to how you've related with it and right and I'm sure there's a lot of people who get awesome stuff out of it and there's a lot of people who are like why would I like, delete my account I don't want to ever be on here again mm-hmm. I've never seen such hate in my life and they're both right yeah totally so
1: it, there is a way to get kicked off though, right? Because I've read forums where I, where somebody's like, yeah, you know, like, you know, climber type 6969 is gone. You know, somebody, something happened to him. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So somebody eventually makes, is that you that makes that decision? Usually
0: not, but sometimes <laughs> it's, it's basically, we basically say we could be in, we could have this moderation um, relationship where we sure. like find people who are doing things that are questionable and send them messages and send them warnings and, and have this whole back and forth and all that but that just would take a lot of time right. and I also think there's something about I think some people want to engage in that type of relationship sure. and they're psyched for it yeah. to like oh wait how far can I push it right and it's like we don't want any part of that so we're basically like we're not going to moderate anything until it's just so over-the-top offensive. Like, you're posting, you know, some decapitated body on a climbing forum. Right. Repeatedly. Or you're only posting for the pure reason to try to get other people upset. Right. And repeatedly. And then it's like, how can you really expect us to want this to be part of a climber usefulness resource? Right. And eventually, I mean, if it's that bad, then it does
1: bleed into your business in terms of like the rest of Super Topo is selling books
0: and selling topos and that sort of thing. So I mean, but 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 again, there's not much business to bleed into, right? So it's it's really less that than just there's a certain point where it's just like it's just common sense. Like the stuff that we're eventually removing is just awful, right? Right, 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 and, and. there are a couple people who are like, "Why did that get removed?" But there's a whole lot of other people who are like, "Seriously, why did you wait so long to remove right. that horrible photo or right. that?" And and so and and that's just the nature of having a largely unmoderated forum. One of the big things that started
1: this podcast was I had an interviews with um, Hayden Kennedy after after chopping the compressor root, mm. in a. In a I actually talked him into coming on the show, you know, and and he had, he was basically in hiding, to a certain extent, like at least I mean not literally, although uh-huh. sort of here in Carbondale, you know, amongst this his room. friends, but but definitely virtual. And, and he's not a, a social media guy at all, anyway, for especially for a younger guy, like it's kind of unusual. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's just like he was just getting completely destroyed. So what I did and I talk about this on the show, and this was years ago, but, you know, in preparation, I dived in, and I read, like, the the 255 posts on, on Super Topo and the ones about Project and the good and the bad and the up and the down, and I was just like... I mean, it was like a rough go, like, you know? Yeah. And he, and he came in, like, shell-shocked, you know? Yeah. And it, it's an interesting thing because it's like... Like I said, I think in the interim, he's probably... Interacted with a lot of those people on that, on that that were on that forum, and and you know, like I said, in person, everything was super hunky dory. Yeah, I, I'm certain of it. You know, because he's never really had any problems personally in terms of anybody, but there were people on there that were like ready to duke him out. You know, <laughs> like just fully It was a trip.
0: And that yeah. was like,
1: and and I had a little run in. Um, I don't think it was on Super Turbo, but with a rude um, on Castleton. Um that, that Sam Leitner bolted and um, I helped him free it, um, this thing called the Ivory Tower. And there was, you know, problems with the wrap bolting and the amount of bolts and blah, 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 blah. And it was like that blew up. I don't like I said, mm-hmm. I don't know which forum it was on. Hayden, you know, twenty I think he was probably twenty one at the time, and he was just like caloose. He's like, Don't even go in there. He's like, Don't even read it. He's like, let alone, like, like try to defend yourself. Like, just don't even go in there, you know. And meanwhile, like Sam was in there, kind of duking it out with people, like you know, virtually. And I, I just didn't go in. I was like, man, I I don't, I don't need it. You know what I'm saying? So it was kind of a
0: trip. But yeah, I, I maybe I should try to, you know, publish more about my experience uh on how I deal with it. Right. But I think typically what you have to do is just. you know, respect the thoughtful opinions and mm-hmm. and respond to them thoughtfully mm-hmm. and pretty much ignore everything else. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like the only way to navigate an yeah. internet forum.
1: You know, and it's kind of like, it's like, you know, the bad stuff sticks out. And the fact yeah. is, is that, you know, I've Googled plenty of roots, you know, like, oh, I wonder about that route. And it sends me to a forum post on Super Topo and I find out some great information, you know, like I find, like I've. Google the route. One of the hits is super tough. I go on there. There's a big discussion of gear. Mm -hmm. What you need? I did it last year. This is the way it is. But of course, those good, like you said, positive interactions on there, they go away in your mind. And it's the ones where you got hacked apart that stick out. But the truth is, is half the time or more than half the time, I'm finding useful information, you know. And you're talking with people and you're like seeing pictures like a lot of guys post pictures of the old days that are really awesome you know and there's like the 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 tributes you know anytime a climber passes there's like always a great super topo tribute like that yeah well pictures and multiple pages and links to all these articles and stuff so I agree that you're you know you're you guys are running a balance there yeah to a well
0: we basically made it really easy to communicate mm-hmm. and that can be turned for good or evil yeah and so <laughs> um And it's still such a new thing. We're talking about just how new podcasts are. I mean, internet forums, when you think about it, are still very new. And I Mm -hmm. think people are still learning how to interact with them. Um, We're still learning how to moderate it. We're still not really moderating it. And and I think over time, people will realize um, for the last couple 10,000 years, when someone says something negative to you, it meant something because you were probably looking them in the eye mm-hmm. and now if someone says something negative you to you online you have to really not take it personally unless you should if it's someone who's very thoughtful someone you respect someone who's calling you out on something that's real sure yeah you should take that seriously but if it's someone who maybe doesn't even have their name and their profile who's saying something negative you really have to just hit the mental ignore button sure and i think we're all going to get better about that over time once, once we move through these kind of uh, growing pains of the whole internet age, which you know it's still probably the first inning, if that. Yeah, for sure. Well,
1: it, and we'll move on from this. Um, but it's interesting because because I started this podcast a few years ago, and this sort of takes my time, and it's also my own voice piece. You know, I don't. I try as best I can to never get super harsh or negative on this thing. But it's, like, that's when my sort of forum engagement just petered out because I just don't have time. Like, yeah. I literally don't have time. If I'm online, it's, like, dealing with the podcast almost exclusively, right? So it's funny because it was, like, when I had free time, that's when I was, like, getting, that's when I was, like, wrangling on, on yeah. the forums. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just chilling in the middle of the night, like, writing these big posts or whatever. So I think that speaks a lot of, like, where some of that negativity comes from is like idle hands as it were. So, but well, cool. I, I, you know, I was curious about like kind of your perspective on it and and you gave a really good sort of perspective. So
0: um, no, it's cool. I've, I've never actually talked about the forum probably this much. And so it'll be cool to have a record of it. Yeah. And I'll definitely put it on the forum and we'll see what kind of response it gets. (laughs) Exactly. They'll just fucking hammer you (laughs) over and over again. (laughs) Exactly. Be nice. He'll
1: he'll shut it down. Please. <laughs> Cold turkey, you guys will just auger in. All of a sudden, it won't be there. Exactly, like people will just like flip out. Exactly, <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> anyway, um, I do. We're we're actually rolling through this thing pretty pretty good. But um, I do want to talk a little bit about the the transition, even though it's away from climbing, um, at least in terms of the subject matter on the show. But the the wingsuiting and the base jumping stuff. Because, in a lot of ways, um, you know, I've been reading more about you. Even though it's a lot of stuff that you wrote and said a while back, I, I don't even know if there's been an uptick in, in, you know, really good base base jumpers dying recently, or is it just that the media's clued into them? But we've lost some good climbers anyway, in terms of of Sean and and Dean. I mean, I, you you must have known and probably been close with those guys. To a certain extent. So what was the transition into, you know, you were like, you said you'd found this Holy Grail with El Cap. You love that exposure under your feet. You know, what happened when you said, you know, one of the, one of these days I'm going to jump off this thing, you know?
0: well so i'd always seen base jumpers go over me yeah and yeah, one of the 2 cool, it's kind of scary it's it's scary but <laughs> like you're also ripping like noise and you're like ah there's a big rock yeah. coming <laughs> and and what's actually interesting is very few base jumpers have the experience that climbers do of a base jumper passing over them because uh-huh. you know unless you've been hanging out with a wingsuit base jumper who's like hugging the ground at five feet above you which still is kind of rare uh, climbers have a unique perspective on base jumpers that base jumpers don't have. And right. so I always thought those guys are crazy, never going to do it. And I'd even thought about doing it with Dan Osman. Him and a bunch of guys were rope jumping back, whatever it was, 15 years ago. And and we thought, because he was good friends with Frank Gambali, who basically, it's like seven degrees of separation of Kevin mm-hmm. Bacon. Like every base jumper goes back to Frank Gambali, who's an American you know, like three degrees or whatever. And so we thought we're all going to get into base jumping, but then Dano died and I tried rope jumping and realized this whole like jumping off things into space is scary. Yeah. It's, it's it seems like something totally different than climbing with getting overexposure. It'll never happen. Cause that was kind of a
1: thing. I remember that was a sort of a thing like this, these jumps that, and people would leave the ropes up there, which is, a certain extent maybe what happened to Dano is that the rope was up there too long but yeah I remember I mean Kevin and, and you guys yeah. were jumping off of things
0: and, with the rope and so we were all about to get into base right. jumping but Dano died and it's like shelved, shelved it for about a decade and then um, I just had a girlfriend who was like let's go base jumping basically she found a guy who was gonna take us off this antenna and I was like still seems stupid and crazy, but everything in life is worth doing once. Right. And I did it, and it was cool, but it's like, I'm never going to get addicted to that at all. Like, that just seems kind of like, right, you know, like, awesome, redneck, crazy fun, but not something I want to dedicate my life to mm-hmm. type feeling. And um, then I saw these Norwegian guys who, right when the um, wingsuit was kind of being invented, were flying their bodies over terrain. And then it just clicked like falling off things and, and base jumping at the time was like, let's go break into a building and fall for two seconds and open a parachute and land and run from the cops. Or, or let's go to El Cap and fall for 15 seconds and land and run from the Rangers. And then suddenly there's this vision of you're in Norway, 5,000 foot terrain flights, carving it up like you would if you were skiing. And, Suddenly, I realized, okay, that's the coolest thing that I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and I need to get behind that. And um, and that's what I did. I just was like, in the same way that Elk Big Wall climbing grabbed me, that is the coolest thing ever. And uh, and at the time, there weren't a lot of climbers who were doing it. You know, Randy Levitt, he got in it, but he got out of it. Right. You know, Way before wingsuits were ever invented. And who else I, like Will Ox? Remember yeah, be- Will before wingsuits. Like oh, no, one before would, wing yeah, Z- no one. Those were before wingsuits. Xavier too, right? Yeah, yeah, way before right. wingsuits. Right. And so, um, and, and the only climber I knew who was doing it a bunch was Dean Potter. And I don't think even he had a wingsuit at the time. Right. And so, for me, it was just like, oh, I can be the first. Because there's all these Europeans, you know, maybe a hundred of them who now mm-hmm. have wingsuits and are pretty badass. But there's no Americans. So, it's like showing up in Yosemite where no one's climbed any of these walls. They get to show up in Yosemite where no one's wingsuited off anything. Right. Or the entire continent. <laughs> right. And and so it became my own little, like, mini golden age of, uh, wow, no one's jumped off Notch Peak in a wingsuit. No one's jumped off all this stuff in Zion. And right. uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it was an, an epic, awesome, beautiful time until I ran into what everyone runs into eventually is a whole bunch of your buddies die. Right. And... And at the same time, anything that's that incredible, once you do it enough, becomes routine, you know, like climbing, I think stays, um, such a passion for so many people for so long because it's not such an adrenaline sport, It's really more about envisioning something with a good buddy going out there working hard and kind of accomplishing something and then coming back base jumping is the opposite. It's mm-hmm. like doing heroin. Not that I have, but it's like super intense, short rush. And and that rush started to fade. And meanwhile, more and more friends were dying. And so it was awesome to be a part of that little golden age of wingsuiting, especially in, you know, doing new things in America. And But it was also very easy to get out of it because it was like, man, all these other people are way more careful than me and way more skilled. And they're dying left and right. And uh, and and it seems like people are dying even more now.
1: When you just said these guys that are way more experienced, and you know it's like, in in some ways, you know I I I, I pale to say that it's routine, but when these guys that are are that good end up crashing and dying, and like the articles like kind of write themselves and it's it's always that saying oh we never thought it was gonna be him he was the smartest he was the quickest he was the you know it's like the gunfighter he was mm-hmm. like no one could beat that guy but you're a smart guy and, and you're a thoughtful guy and, and i can only imagine that there there probably eventually takes a bit of denial to try to keep yourself in the sport to a certain extent to say oh i'm i'm you know i'm way sharper on everything than than so-and-so who you know whoever like hans blah 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 that just died in germ you know in switzerland or whatever but there's got to be a point where i mean an intelligent person has to
0: break through that to a certain extent yeah um i mean the way it worked for me is i had my denial phase for sure but then shane mcconkey died and i'd been um buddies with shane and been in Tahoe to jump off a cliff that no one had ever jumped off of and I was getting ready to go and he was like no like I'm not jumping this isn't smart and I was like oh wow you're way better than me and I think I can do this and and you're saying we should back off and then I think 4 months later he died and so that was kind of that moment where I was like okay the really smart people who are super calculated are dying and then, you know, with Sean Leary, I was almost thinking of getting into the sport again. I took about a five-year break, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'd actually like just gotten separated, which you know, or getting a divorce, and so it was like, and and climbers can relate to like there's a lot of like big free solos for some people that go down after a breakup or whatever Mm -hmm. so i was like okay maybe i should look at this sport again and sean's one of these guys who can really do it safely like he's cracked the code and he's doing it in just the style i like where he's finding things that have never you know thought possible he did more like kind of new exits than just about anyone because you know he's a climber and he's showing up to all these things being like you know a a, a skydiver would be like that thing's impossible And, and to a climber it's like no, we actually only have to climb five seven, and we can right. be at the top of that. Yeah, and and that's how a lot of the exits were, and why they were so easy to find. And so when he died, it was like, oh my, you know, this is this is the guy I thought had cracked the code. Right, like he's super thoughtful and careful and super skilled, and uh, and he still couldn't, you know, survive it. And then, and you know, Dean was the same way. Someone who was like. And that guy's a Jedi, you know? Sure. He's like, he's he's like Peter Croft. Like he just knows how to go up to the limit and where to back off and how to do things that to the rest of us seem so bold and scary, but to them, they just know themselves, know how to breathe and know their like where their incredible skills end and where they need to back off. And, and then when he died, it's like, Oh God, you know, another one. And then and then I kind of wanted to post an article and uh, and I decided to wait a week because um, Jonathan Flores wanted to post this article about let's make base jumping legal in national parks. And I was like, okay, I'm going to hold off on post like kind of reposting why I quit and why people on the fence should know, like what the perspective is from someone who actually quit. Held off a week. He died the week later, like. Really? So so it just became yeah, he holy
1: I didn't know that. And he
0: was one of the best in the world. Like sure. he, he okay. literally Okay. Okay, I didn't know yeah. it, it was connected to that article.
1: Yeah. Cuz I read the the article about the, the the argument for the national parks and all that. Yeah.
0: I didn't and, realize it was the same person. Holy yeah, shit. Exactly. Exactly. So it's reached this kind of absurd point. And 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 all I can say is My dad covered Grand Prix auto racing in the 50s when everyone died. Yeah. Like, every major guy died. And people didn't wear their seatbelts because they wanted to get ejected so they wouldn't burn to death. Right. And at a certain point, it could have been because, you know, Marlboro didn't want their cars burning on TV with someone burning alive. Yeah. That they decided, yeah, yeah, bad bad advertising. Like, all right, let's make this sport safe. Like, this has gone too far. And, uh, and all I can hope is that we're at the, the low point in the sport of base jumping as far as the, the mortality rate mm-hmm. and that people will start to decide uh, it's time to, to turn this around. And I don't think there's going to be one silver bullet, but the optimist in me says, as collectively everyone will be like, this isn't acceptable. Let's figure out how to, to take a sport that's beautiful and amazing and, and live through it.
1: Yeah, but you're jumping off a cliff and you're like flying without, you know, I mean, you're not, you don't have feathers and, and, and that sort of thing. I mean, can it be done? Do you think As do you, I mean, maybe it's just not in our
0: imagination yet. Yeah. I, is I don't, there a way to like bring it, to rein it in? If it was a simple answer, it would have been done. Right. Okay. But, and, and this is totally me thinking through the analogy of Grand auto racing okay. but also the analogy of the Eiger like I think 11 people died before the Eiger was ever climbed mm-hmm. and alpine climbing is by no means safe today but you look about the mortality rate of of what people were doing back then and it's like they did, they no longer accept that level right. of risk right like no one does climbs today where you're like oh yeah 10 people died before mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. Uh, you know before me I'm gonna go try this and so the optimist in me says, we all collectively, if we choose to, can, can, can come together and figure this out.
1: Right. Well, from the, from the outside looking in, because I don't base jump, you know, I jumped out of an airplane once. But, you know, I read, I read the stuff, especially about the climbers, obviously. And from the outside looking in, it definitely feels as though the, the culture is just way too cavalier and 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 sometimes in fact like especially uh, around um around Sean's death and then you know in Moab too cuz I spent a lot of time there it's like around that time it seemed like boom bang pow like people were just here and there you know like and and whenever i read these statements from other base jumpers it kind of enrages me because in in some ways there's so much insensitivity in in towards the death you know it's the well we he would have wanted me to keep jumping and you know like i almost feel like well listen dude like maybe that's the way you feel about it but how about like in the 3 days afterwards you pretend as though you're you're putting some thought into it you know just give us a statement that says that this has made you stop and think Instead of like we're gonna jump for so and so, you know, like tomorrow we're all going, and it's like i don't know and and when I read your stuff and then in Tim Emmett as well, yeah, um you know I don't expect people to say I'm gonna stop, but there was just a thoughtfulness to it and and sometimes I just wonder about the community, like you guys kind of need to stop and think, I hope you know, but it appears as though it almost gal- like the death of some base jumpers almost galvanizes this. Community, you know what I mean? Am I making any sense at totally. all? Totally. Well, but yeah.
0: it's a it's a tough space to be in. Mm-hmm. If if you're Tim Emmett and you and you've reached that point where you're like, and I think he published his thing and quit base jumping when mm-hmm. Sean Leary died, which was okay. I've now seen enough, whatever. But you think of the perspective of the guy who's still mm-hmm. feeling more connected, and and I think climbers can relate to this. Mm-hmm. You know, feeling more connected to more people. But at the same time, they're dying. But at the same time, it's like you found your tribe. Right. And you're in a very tough spot. Sure. And I and and I can totally appreciate that because I was there. And that's why when I wrote my article on why I quit, mm-hmm. I never said this is an article to convince people to quit base jumping. Sure. Because it was one of the more meaningful experiences of my life. This is an article that I would have wanted to read when I was on the fence. and And most people will eventually get to that fence where they're like, Okay. Coolest tribe ever. Uh what about 60 more years of amazing adventures? Right. And and when you're weighing that, my whole point of of writing and what I'm saying right now is like I'm not less happy because I quit base jumping. You know, I found all these other really cool different things that aren't quite as intense. Don't look as good on YouTube, but they're still meaningful and uh and I just want people to know that they're out there. Right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I totally, like I said, I appreciated the perspective in that. And and again, as a total, I don't, I don't, I'm never going to probably, but, uh, you know, probably, but, uh, (laughs) no, there's no way, but, you know, like I said, I I was like yearning for some sort of like intelligent measured response to it. And, And that was, it was nice to read, you know? Yeah. To there, a certain there, extent. there's
0: there, there's been more and more people who have come come forward mm-hmm. so um there's a lot of people who are still fully committed but there's also a lot of people who are, who are quitting and and on the fence and and putting out those different perspectives and and i would love for the sport to be as safe as rock climbing because right. i would still do it right but it just isn't there yet and it probably won't be for a decade or two
1: all right well listen i think we just hammered one out chris that was awesome. This was very much spontaneous. Uh, I want the listeners to know, um, I knew Chris kind of had a connection to Carbondale, but we finally found out that we had a bunch of mutual friends, and this happened just over the last couple of days that we connected on this. But, you know, like, we hung out in the, I mean, what, it was like, shit, it was like 20 years ago now? i <laughs> so young. I know. It's tripping me out. <laughs> but yeah, like... Do the math, yeah. yeah. About Don't do that. A little Matt. less, do a little math. less. So, and like I said, we were there, literally hammering, hammering it out up on El Cap back in the in the this, sort of one of those big wall kind of. Uh, surges i think the last one yeah that was the last time big walling was like super cool and nailing yeah now you have to free climb to be cool i know i know it's a pain in the ass (laughs) for us older gentlemen
0: exactly (laughs) let's
1: bring it back (laughs) okay Uh, yeah right on anyway i totally appreciate you coming on the show and sitting down and uh hopefully uh we'll have you back on the show another time because this is
0: this is a blast i love what you're doing and can't wait to listen to more
1: awesome thanks chris All right, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks again to Chris for showing up and sitting down. I'm glad that he uh, spends a little time here in Carbondale, hoping to hook up with him again. It's a good time talking to him and reminiscing about those days back in Yosemite. Okay, if you want to help out with the podcast, I need your help with the podcast. It's a labor of love, which means if you show me some love, it keeps going. So please do that. Go to Enormacast.com, click on the Help Out tab. And see what you can do to help out the podcast by posting a review. Hopefully a good review. I got a bad review. The first one. One star review. Took me down a little bit. I want to tell you. Anyway, post a review, even if it's a bad one. No, don't post those. You're still listening at this point. You're not going to post a bad review, are you? You're just so angry now because I like stole an hour from you. and I'm still talking. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, post a review, uh, like the Facebook page, donate some money if you want. Donate for your free stuff. Anyway. All right. We're coming into September. I'm the first person to ever say that, ever use that pun, by the way, just so you know. Even though I think September is a little overrated these days. I don't know if it's global warming or what, but it's still damn hot here. So maybe the end of September will be more sendy. Okay, folks, get out there. Enjoy September. Remember, I invented that. Don't forget to check your knot. Oh, put a knot in the end of your rope when you're getting lowered. That's what that other little loop on your rope bag is for. Tie it to that thing, all right? Especially you Indian creek climbers. Seriously, those roots, a lot of them are longer even than your big fat 70, okay? And if your belayer thinks that he or she will see the end coming and just know to stop that's just not true. It's not going to happen. You're looking up. You're watching your climber come down. It'll just be zing clink as your belay device goes slack. So, this month, in this fall, in this season, let's check our knots, shall we? <laughs>
0: Had on Shark
1: Sandwich, which was merely a two word review, just said shit sandwich. Um <laughs>
0: would they print where that? that where they, they uh, print that? That's not it's real. Is it? Is it? You
1: can't print that.